0: DNA in your soil can act as an early warning system for trouble in the next crop year. No, really. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. Now, DNA is a term farmers know well thanks to advancements in genetic engineering and improvement of crops. But DNA information is being put to work in new ways, like understanding the presence of diseases, pests, and beneficial microorganisms in your soil. That's the work being done by Pattern Ag, a five-year-old company that's working to understand the DNA in your farm soil to provide a kind of early warning system for trouble ahead. I'm welcoming two folks from Pattern Ag today to discuss their work and what they've learned, including insights from their new predictive ag report. Mike Tweedy is vice president of sales for Pattern Ag and Danielle Watts is vice president of data sciences. They discuss their work and what they've learned in that report. Oh, and uh, near the end of their talk, Danielle reveals information about a crop disease she found is at least as prevalent as sudden death syndrome in soybeans, which was a surprise to her. Well, Mike Tweedy and Danielle Watts, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Great. So I guess uh, let's just assume that the listener who's coming into this May not be too familiar with who Pattern AG is. I mean you've been around a little while, but why don't you uh, Mike, can you tell me what Pattern AG is what your business model is and what what you are what you're doing and what you're offering the market?
1: Sure. yeah Pattern has been around for about five years now, so we're a newer company but not a new company. and you know I like to call it building the machine as what we've been doing since the beginning and we've got the brains of the machine with uh, Danielle on the uh, on the line with me. But uh, what we do is we look inside the soil and we look at the biology of the soil. We're very focused on corn and soybeans at the moment. And we look for pathogens and other, uh, you know, materials that are biological materials that are going to impact top end yield in corn and soybeans. And this is quite different than, you know, what what has existed in the market before. So what makes us different is that we're looking forward. We're not looking backward. So, you know, today, if you want to look at if there's a pathogen present in your field, that usually happens at the time of injury or what we call expression. So that could be root feeding from corn rootworms, or it could be leaf tissue damage from a path uh, from a uh, disease. Uh, that that's what we call an autopsy. So the damage has already occurred. There's really nothing you can do about it. And then what happens is that um, you know, and in, by instinct. Farmers and and their trusted advisors will use that past information as possible predictors in the future if that's going to happen or not. We do something very different. We analyze the soil using DNA sequencing and very complicated techniques to analyze, uh, you know, a pound of, of a composite soil sample. And we do DNA reads. We do about 10 million DNA reads per pound of soil that we analyze. And we look at the entire biology of that soil that exists in the fall. And the reason why we do that is because we want to be able to inform on decisions such as seed selection, seed trait, hybrid variety. Um, you know, if you need to trade up for a corn rootworm protection, seed treatment and uh, in-furrow treatments at planting because we're going to be able to tell you if these pathogens exist, at what levels they exist, and then make recommendations on what you need to do to protect yourself or protect that crop when it gets planted in the ground. We are 100 percent focused on top end yield improvement. And that's why the the work that we do is so important, because, you know, if you look at the variety, soybean varieties that are out there, the hybrids, the genetics that we have can produce, you know, three, four hundred bushel, two, three hundred bushels of soybeans, four to five hundred bushels of corn. But we're nowhere near that. I'm in the heart of, the, of uh, the I states right now. And we should be producing, you know, we have the ability to produce up to those levels if we know what's there in the soil before we plant. So in short, what we do is we predictably tell the grower what is in their soil that's going to uh, that's going to yield or that's going to rob top end yield. And we help them make those decisions uh, or help provide that information so that they can make informed decisions on seed planting.
0: That sounds remarkable to me because you've got a pound of soil. I mean, I know a teaspoon of soil has, what is it? A billion microbes or some outlandish number. Um, Danielle, you work in data science. How the heck do you sort out the soybean cyst nematode, the Pythium, the Phytophthora, the rootworm, or whatever. How do you sort all that out from from that other, uh, I guess we'll call it DNA noise, that's in there?
2: Yeah, so we, we do it by having a team of people who are really digging in. So we have a certified crop advisor on the team who's helping us really understand what's the agronomic impact, and what is the research around these pathogens how prevalent are they, how widespread, you know, which organisms. Uh, Interestingly, in a lot of cases, you know, people are talking about something like pythium root rot, but what they're actually talking about is a huge assemblage of individual species, and not all of them are super well characterized. Uh, So, you know, what are we looking for? How well known is what we're looking for? Um, And then we also have, you know, you know, teams of uh, really skilled laboratory technicians and field scientists and everybody that we're working with. So what we're doing at our cores is, is taking the whole genome of an organism. What is, you know, what is the soybean cyst nematode from a genetic standpoint? Just like what is, you know, what is a human from a genetic standpoint? And then we look along that genome and we're, we're like, what tells us the most information about it? It might be Uh, you know, something that is really unique to that species, a region of that genome that we're really confident distinguishes this species from something closely related. Um, And in some cases, especially with uh, some bacteria, what we're really more interested in is its function. So then we're looking at genes that, that do a thing. So sudden death syndrome, for example, there's a gene associated with a toxin that it produces, that that's the toxin that kills mm-hmm, the plant. Mm-hmm. We can look for that gene specifically. So it varies a little bit in exactly how we're doing it. But in every case, what we're really dialing in on is how specific can we be and how sensitive can we be and make sure that we really have that we're not just, you know, surveying the soil, but really defining like what is the actual risk
0: in that soil. Well, that makes sense, but that's the next – I mean, as as Mike said, you're looking forward. So mm-hmm. if I do a report, and you've got a new uh, report that you're releasing or you've got available for your clients, um, it's kind of – to me, it's a little bit of a pile of, so what? You've got this data. What what do we do with it? What does it mean to the farmer that there may be a regional look at, you know, pythium or soybean cyst nematode? How can we use this, and how, how uh, localized is it?
2: So the predictive ag report itself is a sort of broader view, and okay. it's really to, to tell you sort of broad scale trends. This this part of the state we think is going to be at high risk going into next year. Um, you know, if, if you are a retailer or a seed company, you know, might help you sort of make decisions about where you're going to move your, uh, you, you know, your your Uh, seed. But from a grower's perspective, these things can change on a year to year basis on a given field. Right. And so Um, that's where the test is really future focused Mm -hmm. for the grower. You know, corn rootworm is an example, you know, the insects fly around and in some locations, certainly like corn rootworm is persistently there, but it's not true everywhere. There's many fields where the corn rootworm one year will be very high in its abundance, but then, um, you know, because of the winter conditions and a host of other things, it's lower next year. And so Mm -hmm. a grower might be able to make a, uh, a, a different decision on their spend, um, and so that future focus for the grower is really highly localized, um, as, you know, to their field and even subfield for many of our pathogens. Um, you know, the the larger scale trends is really just to get an understanding of which of these things are closer linked to a climate gradient or a soil impact or uh, you know co-occurrence of pathogens. That really is informative, you know, to somebody. Um, It was really a retailer or equivalent. Mike, you want to pick up from here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I think about it is that the soil is something. Well, first of all, it's the most complex microbiome on Earth. Um, We understand very little about it. Um, Up until now, nobody was really looking deeply into uh, the soil. You know, a typical soil sample report is going to give you about 10 Data points, and so each of ours is about 10 million. And so the the reason why that's that's important is because we're picking up the things that nobody's ever thought about before. Um, It's often it's kind of often assumed that well if I have soybean cyst nematode or if I have corn rootworm or if I'm continuous corn then I'm going to have corn rootworm, and that's not the case at all. Um, And it's ever evolving, ever changing. And what I love about in this report of what we're doing and what Dan, it's really Danielle's team that did this is we're looking at correlations between weather patterns, the previous year, the previous planting season and pathogen loads, the next season, what we're going to be facing this season. So an example of that would be sudden death syndrome, which we know so we know so little about, but is so destructive. And we looked at, and, and, you know, Danielle can speak to this better than I can, but we looked at the weather patterns from March and April last year and the heavy moisture areas that we had, we have high sudden death syndrome inoculum loads in those areas for this coming planting season. So the, you know, Danielle talked about the predictive ag report. It's kind of like a farmer's almanac, but for planting and crop (laughs) growing season. So why, you know, you asked the question at the beginning, you know, what, All this data and information in and of itself is interesting, but if I just spat you out a report with 10 million data points, that's not really actionable. Really, the magic behind what, and again, it's Danielle's team, is they're taking all that complex metadata, and they're turning that into, in our product, our product team is turning that into really actionable, intuitive insights. You have corn rootworm. Your color gradient is red. That means bad. Here's how bad it is. And then we take that down to a subfield view so they can see precisely where it is in their field. But we make a field level recommendation. Yeah, you need to you need to trait stack uh, plant in that field. And if the pressure is heavy enough, then you need to use an inferno insecticide or likewise on the other side of, uh, you know, 40 or over 60% of the fields that we sample don't have any corn rootworm at all. So they don't need a track, a stack trait. So, um, you know, same thing with sudden death syndrome, you know, that it's, in our opinion, it's far under treated for the pressures that exist yeah. out there. That's a long way of answering your question is we take really super complex data. And that team turns that into really actionable, intuitive insights.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't want you to give me a report with 10 million data points unless you used AI to flag everything out for me which you are. <laughs> <clears throat> and I think that's part of the thing that gets exciting about this is and I am curious about how uh, granular you can granular you can get with the DNA because can you tell me if I have a resistant soybean cyst nematode or a non-resistant or and as we go farther farther since many farmers for example because of what they need to do have, have kind of gone from PI 88788 over to Peking. Well, are we starting to see resistance to Peking, you know, and, and do I and can can you be a dis, can you be an early warning system for those types of traits going forward? Do you see that possibility?
2: You know, that is such an excellent question, and you're really pinpointing the, like, leading edge of what is known about these organisms. Uh, You know, there's a number of different research groups, and I am happy to include us in that number, who are really trying to uncover, you know, what are the signatures of resistance? Not just, like, this population or this area, but specifically, what are the signatures of resistance? And I I will say, you know, this is very much a development space. It has not been, you know, 100% figured out. In many ways, we're still characterizing the populations. We're working with academic researchers who are are working on this as well. And and they're in a very similar space. We're still trying to uncover, you know, know, what is uh, what what is diversity of a soybean cyst nematode? You know, it's one of these like it, it sounds like such a like a funny question to ask. But when we're starting to talk about populations that are developing resistance, we do really fundamentally have to understand that several layers deeper
0: yeah and I think that that's that's the potential beauty of DNA assessments of soil samples is what can we find I mean the other thing is I mean sudden death we don't have a lot of treatment options there's a there's a couple there's a product out there. I know that, but there are also resistant varieties. we would want to maybe pick that, but a lot of guys once you have s d s you've got s d s right so can i just do i mean that's the same as sadly the same as soybean cysts once i've got it i'll just act like i've got it and do it but what so if i know i've got sds in this field how does pattern ag help me better manage that or manage for it going forward just as an example especially sds because it's what it can mean to a farm i (laughs)
1: yeah i can i can i can take that one first and then danielle can take it a click deeper but um the, pat- the inoculum loads do change on a year-by-year basis. Yeah. It's, not the, it's not the same thing every year. And so that's the most often question or we get is how often should I test? Well, how often does the biology change? It's constantly changing. And so I just talked about a little while ago how weather patterns the previous year can determine inoculum loads the next year. Those are correlations that we've already made, and we're going even deeper on other uh, pathogens as well. So the the answer to your question is it's not going to be the same every year. But what we do tell you is what your risk levels are. If they're um, if they're medium to high, then we're going to recommend a soybean variety that is more tolerant to sudden death syndrome. And we're going to recommend a seed treatment that can protect against uh, expression, uh, you know, in season. So we have data that shows that those recommendations do work. Um, And then there's also there's also loads that can lead to breakthrough infection, which is, you know, the the pathogen loads are so high that that likely whether you choose a variety and a seed treatment, it's probably going to break through that. Just like if you had corn rootworm at such an extreme level that if you planted corn in there, that trait is not going to be protected enough from the overwhelming um, impact of the feeding that's going to occur. And so in some of these cases, we recommend rotating to a different crop.
0: I was going to say so, if I've got a high high load of SDS, just a breakthrough load of SDS, I think I should put that corn in that field into corn. Maybe it'll break down the inoculum for a year. will that, is, that, is that kind of the actions you'd be taking?
2: Yeah, I think there's also, you know sudden death syndrome is one of those interesting pathogens that can kind of hang out on corn residue. Yeah. Uh, right. And so, you know, there are some different methods that growers have of managing. Also, they're like tilling cycles and whatnot that can help knock it back. And there's nothing quite like information to tell you where to put that energy in.
0: Well, that makes sense, too. I mean, this is a a, a whole different level of managing a farm. It's just then you get into that economic basis. I mean, what does it cost and does it on a per acre basis? And is it enough to make a difference? And I believe you're finding those successes, right, Mike?
1: We are. Um, you know, we had one case where last year the the, the grower who was in uh, southern uh, southern Minnesota uh, had high levels of SDS. And most of the agronomists in the area were saying, well, there's no SDS in this area. Well, you couldn't see it. And and if you could, the symptomology or the um, the expression was very slight. Maybe it turned two weeks earlier than than the rest of the soybeans. Yeah. And so um, what it informed is, hey, I got it. He chose a different soybean variety. He chose the max treatment on uh, the seed treatment that he used. And then there were also some other things that we informed, such as uh, boron uh, application or and, you know, a few other things that uh, diseases that he had going on in the field. This year, uh, we talked to him during harvest and he was he was absolutely giddy because he was averaging around eighty two and his five-year average on soybeans was around 65. So the ROI is is tremendous if you know what to do in advance. There's other cases where pathogen loads are so high that you might even just wanna rotate out of those crops completely. And we had mm-hmm. that case in South Dakota last year where there was a field that was just absolutely getting devastated Corn, soybean rotation didn't matter. And what we found were the pythium loads were just off the charts. And so what we did was, you know, what they ended up doing there is rotating into alfalfa for, you know, a series of years until they can break down, you know, get the pythium loads down and then rotate back into those crops.
0: Yeah. Fungicide only carries you so far. If you've got a breakthrough load like that, that's nuts. So, and so, so this gets back to, one of the challenges, and you made a good comment, uh, looking at certain things as an autopsy, a yield map is an autopsy. You're bringing me an early a early warning system for what might be a problem in my fields. And maybe it's also peace of mind when all the levels are, are in the green and I just can move
1: forward in my own way, too, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think about it as a story. Every cropping season has a story. Today, what we can read is we can read the beginning the first chapter, which is planting, and we can read the last chapter, which is harvest. And then there's so much that's happening in the middle, but we don't know why. Um, and sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong on what we look at and try to diagnose in the field. And that's one of the things that, that we learned in, the, uh, in our predictive ag report is that oftentimes things get misdiagnosed. And so um, what we do is we take a look at, hey, here's here's what the book is going to read. It's kind of like Cliff's notes of what you're what you're going to be facing during the season. So we we fill in all the chapters in between and then all they have to do is write the first chapter and the last chapter.
0: This is pretty amazing, but how long – so let's talk about some practical for a minute. If I work with Pattern Ag and I give you a pound of soil, how long does it take to give a reading? What's the process? Because, you know, I understand if I watch CSI, DNA is really fast. But in the real (laughs) world, a DNA test takes a little longer, right, Danielle?
2: Yeah. So, you know, we – uh, on average, I believe three weeks is the max. If you want the like full deep, we're going to go in and try and, you know, articulate who all the bacteria are and sort of their function. It can take roughly three weeks from uh, from sampling to to result to a grower. The, the process is pretty straightforward. You know, um, if somebody wants to sample the soil themselves, they're certainly welcome to, but otherwise we are able to create sampling plans and deploy, you know, professional soil samplers, um, uh, you know, for the grower, make this as easy and uh, you know, as, as low friction as possible. And the samplers, you know, ship that pound of soil to our lab um, where we have chemistry labs and bio lab, the DNA labs. So they're able to to do both. And that when we do a soil sample, it's not just like a little subsample. We're not like, you know, taking a spoonful out and then trying to characterize that soil. We are literally dumping that whole bag into a blender um, and, and, you know, sipping uh, off of that entire sort of component. So it's it's a very sort of like deep evaluation, right, that we're doing. And then um, there's a very, you know, I could go into the sequencing steps and then um, probably lose your audience uh, interest. Um, but But broadly, you know, we can do very targeted insights where you know we just want to know corn rootworm soybean cyst nematode make a decision about corn versus soybean next year or we can go um several layers deeper where we're really characterizing many pathogens all of the bacteria you know getting that deeper understanding and that's the part that takes roughly uh you know three weeks from sampling to delivery
0: yeah i assume there were different levels of what i would Get if I wanted to do a sample and that kind of thing. Are you also giving me a regular soil sample in the same process that you're doing white chemistry? Are you giving my my NPK manganese or is that a do I have to send that off to another lab? Uh,
1: so yes, we can do that. We have added those capabilities to do a malik three on uh, on there. So if okay. they they really have three choices in product. Uh, so we try to keep it very simple. If they just want corn rootworm, cyst nematode, and sudden death syndrome, that's one product. And that costs about you know half a bushel of corn, uh, maybe three qu- or you know two thirds of a bushel of corn. Then there's complete biology or complete bio, and that is all the pathogens, beneficials, everything that we provide in the report, and that costs roughly about um, three quarters of a bushel of soybeans. And then there is um, the 360, which is complete bio plus. and uh, full uh, macros and micros with the exception of nitrogen. And so uh, for, you know, a dollar more, you can get that. Now, it's important for the grower and the listener to understand that we work through a, a, a dealer network of trusted advisors. So mm-hmm. these results will come back to a seed dealer, a crop consultant, and they sit down with these results and go through them with the grower so that they can make the best choices for inputs and management practices for their farm for that year. It's um, We can't give them directly back to the grower, but we work. we like to work through a trusted advisor network of dealers. So that's mm-hmm. who would be that delivering the news.
0: That makes sense. Now, you made it. You used a phrase that I was going to ask about, and that is when we look at the microbiome of the soil, and I have joked recently that I've written more about the secret life of plants in the last five years than I have in the previous 35. We are trying to understand what's really going on below the surface. What are you learning about the beneficial microbes, uh, Danielle, and, and, and what that means to the report in terms of maybe, do I use a product that might fire them up? Are there enough there? Uh, I know there are products on the market that fire them up or products that they're adding and that kind of thing. What are we learning from these beneficials?
2: Yeah. So, you know, the beneficials are so interesting because they, they span from the fungal to the bacterial and, and right. there's there's loads of them doing different functions. And so there's some of my favorites. Um, of course, they ought to be. Right. Uh, so, you know, one of our, our analytics, I'm just going to use as an example. It's uh, we call it the plant growth promoters, but mm-hmm. um, they are trichoderma. That's a, a genus of fungi um, that are known to just have extraordinary benefits to have in your field and in a nice, healthy field. Uh, you know, that group is going to be your second largest group of fungi in your field. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's, you know, it's pretty uh, prevalent and they're very sort of like happy. Some of them, you know, turn your phosphorus into forms that your plants can really like to uptake. And some actually like uh, are able to tell the plant to produce more hormone to grow more strongly. And so lots of things that they do that are beneficial. Um, and so the, the species though, there's a lot of products that have it in there. So if you happen to have a deficit, if, if something has happened in that field and totally knocked it out of whack, um, you know, you, there are many products that actually have trichoderma in it and you can apply directly in your fields. And we really try and take that approach with all of our um, sort of soil health or beneficial products is is not just like here's an interesting insight this is cool it's really like there's an action that you can take to promote it or at least understand you know a different management strategy for your field or do something similar uh you know uh, denitrification can be a yeah. major loss of nitrogen in a field right up to 20 percent of your applied end will mm-hmm. be lost through that and so we're able to say like these are the parts of your field that just have a really high abundance of that you might want to consider a, you know a split fertilization or, or, you know, even a even, you know, split it into three or something just to make sure that you're not losing that nitrogen. But even, you know, um, if if for some reason, you know, you're still very concerned about like the timing of your application because it's a moist part of the fields, there's also products that are able to suppress denitrification. So really taking that management first focus, a grower is trying to make management decisions, not just here's some interesting facts about my field. And, you know, from that approach, really sort of develop our analytics and there's yield benefits. So we're able to actually correlate these to yield um, in many fields and each field can be a little bit different. In one field, it might be. How many phosphorus solubilizers you have in your field and another, it might be diversity, but it's still, you know, it's it's useful to help understand, you know, broadly, what are the trends in my fields and what management can I take to, to just improve it, you know, that extra percentage.
0: Well, that's a training issue, too, for that trusted advisor. They've they've not had to deal with this kind of DNA data before. I mean, obviously, NPK, macros, macros. But now you're laying in, oh, look, we have these uh, phosphate solubilizers or we have these nitrification uh, promoters or whatever. I mean, they've got to be – that's why that conversation must have value,
1: right, with the grower? It does. You know, it it does. And what we do is we take that – again, we take that really super complex stuff – Um, You know, as we're looking at the trichoderma species and we boil that down into, hey, this this field has high de potential. You need to you need to utilize a nitrogen stabilizer Mm -hmm. or Hey, this one has low phosphorus solubility. You need to apply a product that's going to improve uh, phosphorus solubilization so you could mine the phosphorus in your soil. Or hey, this field has low mycorrhizal fungi um, activity. So apply a product that's going to stimulate that, or add it back into the soil. So it, it's the the beauty behind what we do is that they can take action from the results that, and from the, all the deep science that, uh, deep data science that we have put into this.
0: Well, it makes sense. It's just again learning about what does what where, and what I can do to promote. X, Y, whatever I need, or NPK, whatever you want to promote. And I think that there are new products on the market that benefit. So that's you're coinciding with some startups in that area in your own business. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Any surprises in the 2023 report as you looked at your predictive ag report? Anything that was, I mean, you made, you made the comment about uh, pathogen load in some areas based on rains. Anything else that just popped up when you
1: were looking at all that data? Danielle, you are the author, so give us your big <laughs> surprise.
2: <laughs> you know, um, so we, every year, we work uh, directly with some commercial growers to, mm-hmm. to like deepen our insights and really validate, you know, both for ourselves and for our growers that, you know, what we're saying really is making a difference in a field. And so we recruited some 97 growers to work with our, or 97 fields, I should say, it's 30 mm-hmm. growers, 97 fields to work with us last year. And one of the things we just found really really interesting was just how challenging it is to scout pathogens. So we, we sent scouters out just to, you know, we, we were testing our, you know, sudden death syndrome, you know, several layers deeper, make sure that we really understand our analytic and that risk, as we say it equals risk of expression. Um, I'm happy to say it does. Um, but, uh, but very interestingly, it was just all the cases when even a trained you know, scouter really struggled to understand what they were looking at. And it's not their fault, right? Like, Trying to do a sort of diagnostic of a visual, you know, uh, uh, challenge in a field—it's—it's—it's it's hard, right? Like, it's not something I think I would be particularly good at. Um, and you know, we had these cases. We had one deep dive in our predictive ag report around this, um, where it really looked like sudden death syndrome to to two different scouters, and they were just so confident. But the grower was like, "But I treated. I I treated like mad for sudden death syndrome. I do not see how it could be that." And when we, you know, we we actually. We sent it to some pathology labs, but we also, you know, dug up some plants ourselves and tested the roots and the shoots and the leaves and everything. And we found that it was actually multiple pathogenic fusarium in the roots and the leaves and a boatload of rhizoctonia, just so much in the in the root, which the combination of which ended up looking like sudden death syndrome to the scouters uh, because it was, it was multiple pathogens impacting those plants and just that kind of like level of information. and, And those, those pathogens were in our soil report. Um, and so it was just a you know the seed treatment didn't cover those additional pathogens, and so we're able to make a different recommendation for that grower. Uh, but it just really highlights that challenge, right? It's like uh, you know we think of pathogens as one problem, you know, one outcome, but oftentimes it's multiple pathogens, multiple outcomes, and and you know having that ability to make that decision, I think for growers, is going to be game changing.
0: Any early warning on the load of tar spot we might see in corn this year?
2: <laughs> uh, so tar spot is one of the things we are developing this year for okay. our growers. Um, so it's not in our current pathogen panel, but it will be soon.
0: Well, I mean that's a, I mean it's that's the other part you got right. You've got to figure out what the next problem is. That you've got to figure out what the DNA of that pathogen is in the soil and add it to the list. So tar spot's so new, right? I mean that's part of the challenge. Mm-hmm. But you yeah. identified it, so go for it.
2: Yeah, so tar spot, definitely an emerging problem throughout the Midwest. And so we've been working on, you know, pulling residue samples, getting a deep understanding of its genetic signatures and and our labs really working on how exactly do we, you know, test for it to be very sort of that same, you know, thing of precision and sensitivity. You know, how do we test for it accurately? You know, there's no, there's no version of this currently on the market. So, you know, we're very much in that like science development. Um, It's very fun and exciting. But also, you know, just something we take very seriously So we have to be constantly developing new analytics because pathogens those are changing all the time and coming in and becoming a problem in new areas.
0: Right. But if it's a treatable disease like tar spot, not and certain things, having that early warning of what the potential mm-hmm. uh, uh, load is of spore or whatever's in the soil, whatever creates it, because, you know, everything's yeah. different.
1: <laughs> um, knowing
0: that is valuable. So that'll be a neat thing to look forward to for in 2024 is that more data and that people are in this part, because obviously it's also regional right now. It's not everywhere. So as we go forward learning it, that'll be fun. And that's probably going to be the highlight of your job, uh, Danielle. And even yours, Mike, is just talking about what you're learning and what you're bringing to the party, because when you started, you didn't have every one of these pathogens lined
1: out. Now you've got them all figured. You've got many figured out. Right. Yeah, well, here's here's what's interesting. So we're constantly adding to our pathogen portfolio. Yeah. We'll be adding some uh, some some big ones coming up this summer, um, you know, especially for southern soils and southern crops. Yeah. Um, but but when we turn on a new pathogen. So think about it like this. We're collecting uh, we're collecting biology and we're turning that into gigabytes of data that go into the cloud. And our current database is about 200 billion um, uh, reads that we have done, which is the largest soil metagenomics platform in the world. But when we turn on a new algorithm, which is, you know, in other words, another way of saying we've identified a pest and we're turning Mm -hmm. it on in our machine. It not only populates whatever report that you're pulling, but it populates all past reports as well. So let's say you've been doing uh, you've been working with us for a couple of years. Those things will be turned on in past reports. So that is a lot different than any kind of analysis that can be done today. Whatever is done is is static, and it's right there at that point in time. Ours is actually a live, living look at those fields as long as we're going to be testing on those fields. And so every new pathogen that we turn on is going to be populated in past reports as well. That's it great kind of makes
0: sense, though, right? Once you develop the algorithm, all the algorithm has to do is go backwards, read the data you've already because it's all in there, right? Be, it may be a whole new pathogen, but it's already in there. Once you've identified the genetic signature for that pathogen, I know, I'm oversimplifying, but it's not a big deal for the algorithm to go back and go, oh, yep, there it is, and it's been there for the last four years, and, it, and look at the load based on, and then you can correlate it to weather and soil type and whether sandy soils matter or loamy soils matter and all that kind of stuff. I think that's Yeah, now you're getting into the fun stuff.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we were able to do that last year with um, uh, soybean stem canker and brown stem rot. Right. We had a, one of the extensionists we work uh, with said, "Hey, by the way, I'm seeing this like misdiagnosed all over the place. You should throw it in." Um, so we did a bunch of work. We, you know, sourced the pathogen, sequenced it, the whole works. And then we were, when we turned it on, we were able to turn it on, you know, everywhere and instantly get an understanding of, of how prevalent are these, where do they co-occur, you know, what are the gradients. We were able to create basically those maps and just like watch it light up and get a deep understanding, um, you know. It, Soybean stem canker is about as prevalent as uh, sudden death syndrome, which was fascinating, uh, a little concerning to learn, you know, (laughs) you never like learning that about a pathogen. But um, fascinating to really see like how prevalent it is and, um, you know, really be able to bring that insight to our growers um, nearly instantaneously.
0: Well, that's exciting. And of course, white mold. We didn't even mention white mold.
2: White molten a really fascinating one because it is so weather linked. But those cysts, right? They they hang out in that or the sclerotia. They hang out in the soil for eight years, longer in some cases, you know. So they they like get in there and they just hang out and cause problems year over year. Yeah. So we've barely been um, working on developing sort of deep insights so we can help growers get a deeper understanding of of you know prevalence and whatnot in their fields. Um, But I think you know that's when we're going to be looking at the weather links to next so that yeah. we can help grower understand the weather conditions for expression as well
0: but that's the beauty of big data though you can mm-hmm. ask, start you can start querying the data and correlating it with other data like weather and soil type and how that plays into this you know movement and impact so yeah it's all exciting for the re the listener to this today though it's it's interesting that we have, we have done something, you know, if if I'd have told uh, myself my 40-year-ago self, oh, yeah, we're just going to get DNA in the soil and we're going to know all the pathogens in it, I would have first said, what's DNA, probably, and then <laughs> gone into the conversation like – what and so where we are is, is science fiction that is now hard science fact and it's very interesting where we head to this and what we can do with this going forward so it's going to be fun to watch what Pattern Ag does with this going forward I want to thank Mike Tweedy and Danielle Watts from Pattern Ag for joining me today and you, good luck with everything you're doing I think the uh, farmers listening to this might be a little bit surprised at what you can find out in advance in your soils thanks for joining me Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. We're learning plenty about what's going on below the soil's surface. Thanks to Mike Tweedy and Danielle Watts for joining me to discuss their work at Pattern Ag. Gaining a better understanding of the work of microorganisms in your soil with an eye toward boosting production and making better use of inputs will be key for the future. And Pattern Ag is working on that issue. And if you're interested in seeing their predictive ag report, just visit their website at pattern.ag and you can download it for free. It shares information about what the company has learned about pathogens ahead of the 2023 season. As I noted, as they expand their database, who knows what we'll learn going forward. But having a heads up about crop yield challenges does pay off in yield. This was an interesting topic we covered in this episode. And if you don't want to miss what we're talking about here at Around Farm Progress, simply subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and more. And if you have a smart speaker, all you have to do is tell it to listen to Around Farm Progress, and you'll hear the latest episode. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer and Feedstuffs, and our events, including the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, the Farm Futures Summit, and the New York Farm Show. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.